you listen to it on the, uh, um, on the podcast or whatever we call it. <laughs> now, I do need to rearrange the furniture slightly, so um, if, if you could just pray for a moment as I re- rearrange the furniture, that God will be here and speaking to us and through me and in our worship, um, just as I rearrange the furniture. Um, we're going to start a new mini-series um, this morning on the bread of life, and um, I have been invited to do it in a sort of a narrative storytelling style this morning, so um, that's why I'm going to rearrange the furniture. So just pray for a moment as I just shift a few things. Amen. Three little tales for you this morning. The first one's very familiar, probably. When I was a teenager, I had a little habit. It was a habit that um, I would do every day, Monday to Friday. And I would do it as soon as I got home from school, particularly when I was a teenager. The school I went to was about three miles away from where I lived. And most days I would either walk home or cycle home. And you may remember that when you were a teenager, by the end of the school day, when you'd been playing hard, you'd been joking about perhaps and working really hard and using your brain, that on the way home you would feel really, really hungry. (laughs) Yes? You're familiar with that feeling? Well, this was my habit. As soon as I got home, I'd open the front door, walk past the lounge in the dining room, into the kitchen, and there I would head for the bread bin. And I'd take out a loaf of bread, I'd get the carving knife, and I'd cut myself a thick slice of bread that was at least half an inch wide. And then I would go to the fridge, find the butter. It was always butter. I hated margarine. Lots and lots of butter on that thick slice of bread. And then, with that slice of bread, I would then go to the jar cupboard. Did you have a jar cupboard in your kitchen? Yes? I'd open the jar cupboard, and there would be three choices. Marmite, (laughs) peanut butter, or jam. And I I would mix it up during the week, but it would be those three things there, that nutty, salty peanut butter, that very savoury, salty marmite, or that sweet, sweet fruit jam. And every day when I got home from school, that would be the very first thing I did. I'd sit in the kitchen by myself. I was usually home before my brother. My dad was still at work. And my mother, who was a a midwife who worked night shifts, was probably still asleep up in bed. I would have five minutes with my slice of bread. And I would recover from that tiredness. 
I would recover, recover from all that thinking power and I would recover from the day ready for the evening. My habit of my slice of bread. I had an experience two weeks ago that also involved a feeding, a big feeding. Two weeks ago, I went on one of these ultra-marathon walks. 50k on the first day, and then 50k on the second day, walking from just outside Oxford all the way to the Avery, Avery Stone Circle, along what is called the Ridgeway. Now, if any of you have ever been on the Ridgeway, you will know that it is a, quite a straight, rock-hard chalk path. Really, really hard ground. It literally does run a, along a large ridge, and for most of the way, you can see into the distance that way and into the distance that way. You will also know there's very little shade on that walk. There's very few trees, very few, not much woodland. And two weeks ago, it was 32 degrees centigrade. The first 40k was pretty okay. I sort of trained up to that sort of distance, and I thought, yeah, 40k, this is fine, I'm doing really well. But then the last 10k on that first day was like the slowest, most depleted trudge I have ever done in my life. And then there was this wonderful base camp up on the top of the ridge overlooking the countryside where 2,000 of us stopped for the evening. And there in the base camp, there was row after row after row tents, we were given an inflatable mattress, we had our own sleeping bags ready there was also a great marquee which was a feeding hall and I'll come back to that in a minute there was a few promoters tents trying to sell us stuff and looking this way there was seating outside several fire pits a place to relax, to watch the sun set in the evening. Beautiful place to hang out when you were completely exhausted. But what impressed me most about the provision that was made for us were the people, the crew who were there to help. Every 10 kilometres or so, there had been a pit stop. People there offering us fresh water, there were snacks and food. There was encouragement. There were medics to patch up our feet. And everybody was enthusiastic. Everybody was happy. Everybody was encouraging. And everybody was there to serve. On the second day, it was even harder. But again, what impressed me most was the attitude of the crew. Because the tighter we got, the more enthusiastic they got. The sore at our feet, the better attention to our feet. And the slower we walked, the more encouraging they became. So much so that at 95 kilometres, 
where the temperature had reached about 35 degrees, they arranged a pit stop almost out of nothing. One Land Rover, just the leftover fresh water and the leftover snacks, they drove ahead and they created a, a, a new fresh pit stop for us at 95k. And there we were cheered on towards the end. The crew were amazing. And in that food hall, on the Saturday night, 2,000 people were fed. A buffet-style canteen. I have never seen so much food. I have never eaten so much food <laughs> in one meal just to recharge my energy and my energy levels for the following day's walk. All eco-friendly, all served politely, and all the leftovers cleared away efficiently. A wonderful experience of being helped by others. That event two weeks ago really reminded me of this story of Jesus. Jesus has climbed up a mountain. He's climbed up a mountain and he sat down in the shade with his disciples. They're sitting probably under some olive trees or something very similar. We're told that there's grass there, so it probably is a very shady place. And he sat down to teach his disciples in the shade, in the cool. Average temperature in that area, probably somewhere 35 to 40 degrees. It was hot. And this particular day was quite close to the, the Passover festival. The time when most of the, the roundabout community, the people from the local villages and towns, would have been heading probably to Jerusalem on pilgrimage for the Passover festival. But this year, rather than heading off to the Passover festival, they were following Jesus around. So as Jesus is sat down in the shade, um, sharing stories and teaching with his disciples, perhaps praying with them, perhaps talking about the scriptures together, a crowd starts coming up the mountain. A large crowd. At least 5,000 men and their families. And they're coming because they've heard and they have seen what Jesus has been doing. And as they come up the mountain, it's getting towards the middle of the day, towards lunchtime. And, and Jesus turns to Andrew, to Philip, and, and he says to Philip, well, Philip, where are we going to get enough food to, to feed these people, to give them some lunch? And Philip looks at Jesus and he looks at the crowd. Hmm. Jesus, six months' wages won't be enough to get enough food to even give this crowd 
a mouthful. Jesus looks at Philip. Jesus looks at the crowd coming up the hill and he looks around his disciples. Then Andrew, who's always the class clown, comes to Jesus and says, well, Jesus, there is a little boy here and he's got five barley loaves and two fish. And he looks at the crowd and he looks at Jesus and he's got a bit of a smirk on his face. Five body loaves and just two fish. All right, lad? Jesus. I'm going to sit up here so I'm not sat on the microphone. Jesus looks at Andrew looks at the boy, looks at Philip, looks at five barley loaves and two fish, and he looks at the crowd. And John tells us Jesus knew exactly what he was going to do. That's interesting because Matthew, Mark and Luke don't say that. He knew exactly what he was going to do. And it's very simple. He thanks God for five small barley loaves of bread and two small fish. And then he starts passing it around. And John simply records that everyone was fed. And there were lots left over. John says that Jesus took his 12 disciples to just get some baskets, which some of the mums might have with them, and just to go and collect up what was left over. Why? So that other people could also be fed. I think in these three stories we have three lessons for our discipleship as Christians. The first lesson is this. Sometimes we need to be in the habit of feeding ourselves. And um, Bishop Michael actually referred to that this morning that we need to be in the habit of receiving our daily bread. Just as we pray it in the Lord's Prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. We need to create a habit of having our daily bread. You know, the bread is in the bread bin and my Bible's on the shelf. That's the first lesson. The second lesson is sometimes we have to be like the crew 
on the walk and we need to think about feeding others. Yeah? And we need to do that with enthusiasm, with grace, with encouragement and with preparation. And we do have in our own lives and in in our society an awful lot of resources to share. And we need to get ourselves organised to feed others when they're struggling on their journey. But more importantly, there is a third lesson for our discipleship. And really it's a challenge. And it's a challenge to us because we already have so many resources that we can rely on. The challenge is also to believe in the one who comes from the Father as the bread of life, the one who can create fantastic and wonderful signs of God's presence and God's activity in our world. We might call that a miracle. The one who can just take five small barley loaves a couple of fish and feed a crowd of over 5,000 people and still have leftovers. Which leads me to three questions that I'm challenging myself with today. The first question I'm challenging myself with and I encourage you to challenge yourself with is this. What are you really hungry for? What are you really hungry for? Is it the things of God? Or is it the things of self? Or the things of the world? Or the things of something worse? Are you really hungry for the things of God? Not just in heaven, but now, here on earth. The second question And this is an interesting one, and John slips this into his commentary on the feeding of the 5,000. The second question is, what are you really working for? That's a different sort of question, isn't it? What are you really working for? And um, it's good that Louise has just told us about she's changed her job. And I think part of the calling for that for Louise was that question, wasn't it? Yeah, what are you really working for? And that question applies to us all. But more importantly, the final question is this. Do we still believe in our sophisticated, well-resourced British church? Do we still believe in the bread of life? The one who can just give thanks to God with very few resources and work miracles and still have things left over that's a challenging question for us isn't it and all I want to do today is leave myself and leave you with those questions thank you